Hello, welcome to Okawa Book Club. So we're your hosts, I'm Dylan. I'm John. And we're going to be discussing the teachings of Riho Okawa. Riho Okawa is a world teacher, master, and CEO of Happy Science Group. Today we're going to be discussing Love for the Future, Building One World of Freedom and Democracy Under God's Truth by Riho Okawa. To give an overview of the book, we will go through the table of contents. Part one of the book is comprised of four lectures by Ryo Okawa. Chapter one is the lecture, Love for the Future. Chapter two, The Fact and the Truth. Chapter three, Love Beyond Hatred. And then further reading, What is True Democracy? Part two of the book is comprised of spiritual interviews with four major global leaders. The first is chapter four, the spiritual interview with the guardian spirit of Xi Jinping. Chapter 5, Spiritual Interview with the Guardian Spirit of Vladimir Putin. Chapter 6, Spiritual Interview with the Guardian Spirit of Angela Merkel. And Chapter 7, Spiritual Interviews with the Guardian Spirit of Donald Trump. Wow, so many topics in this book. It's actually a very thick book if you hold it. It's at the great price of $15.95. And you can really learn a lot from this book about politics on the back, it actually says, God's plans revealed. So, John, what are God's plans, and what is he revealing? Does he have a kind of systematic approach that he takes to politics, or Rihokawa, I mean? I believe so. The political ideologies described in this book are overwhelmingly in favor of democracy, freedom of the individual throughout the world, and, and for the spreading of that. You know, so that it, not just worrying about freedom in your own nation, um, but also, you know, wherever possible, uh, allowing that to be propagated in other nations, and especially in those nations which are of a totalitarian variety and which uh, invariably tend towards atheism. Hmm, yeah, you said freedom and democracy. What is there a third essential principle that he brings into the table? Uh, absolutely, it's faith, uh, which is the... Once again, you know, the discerning quality between uh, a free country and a not free country. Right. So he doesn't advocate theocracy. He advocates a nation of freedom of faith. So freedom to choose your faith and then freedom to allow all people to choose their faith instead of like the current China, which only allows them to believe in state sponsored religions. Next thing I want to talk about, John, is what is the purpose of this book, do you think? What kind of purpose is there in publishing such a book which includes spirituality and politics merged together? I think the purpose of this book is largely, uh, you know, aside from the propagation of democracy and freedom, I, it's calling for a reintegration of faith in general into the world of politics. And I, I can understand how that concept might be difficult for a lot of people to accept, because in the past, when we think of religion being incorporated into politics, we might think of things like the Vatican and how a lot of people were persecuted under there being just one state religion in various uh, places and times. Hmm. You know, so in, 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 with the advent of modernism, we sort of went the opposite direction mm -hmm. and we just separated any type of faith from politics altogether, and everything has become increasingly secular and perhaps atheistic. So I believe what Ryokawa is trying to propagate through this book is, and is the concept that we can have faith as part of our political process without it being, as you said earlier, a theocracy, mm -hmm. or without there being a state-funded religion, but mm -hmm. 
in such a way that we can take spiritual and religious, uh, moral and ethical concepts and ideas and integrate them into civilization mm -hmm. so as to ensure the conservation and the perpetuation of human rights and the value of each individual human life. That's so true. And you know, we often hear just about the bad side of religion and politics working together. We hear about Islamic terrorism and Christian imperialism of the past and uh, even the, the modern day wars between like Hindus and Muslims, things like that. But actually there's the opposite side, which is that religion can help bring peace by teaching people values that help them gain a more broad perspective and a more tolerant mind and have people engage in the process of self-reflection based on their past misdeeds. And so we tend to neglect that aspect of religion and politics working together in peace and harmony. You mentioned about some of these important things like the uh, messages, but can we go a little bit deeper into the chapter and each of the chapter's frameworks? So, for example, the first part, as the name of the book implies, this chapter is called Love for the Future. And actually, I was at that lecture in Germany in 2018, and it was really a remarkable lecture because Riho Kawa spoke very straightly and very directly to reach the German people's hearts and have them overcome some of the guilt as a nation that they've had from the past and liberate their mind to try to attain more responsibility as a nation to help Europe and the world become peaceful. Can you talk about chapter two, The Fact and the Truth? Where was that and when did it take place? Uh, the Fact and the Truth was a lecture given on May 22nd, 2011 in Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah, and a very fascinating part about that lecture is that he encouraged the Hong Kong people saying, there's no need for you to break apart from China because you're already separate from China. And he encouraged the people to have more confidence in themselves and act on the basis of freedom, which recently after that lecture, we saw the rise of the Yellow Umbrella Revolution and the freedom movement really kicking into full gear. So actually, there's this kind of very mystical phenomenon that wherever Riho Kawa visits, something big tends to happen in that country. For example, right after the first chapter, Angela Merkel essentially stepped down from re-election and it was within a few days after the lecture that she decided she will not be running for another term. So after chapter two, we saw the rise of the freedom movement in Hong Kong. And chapter three, we go into Taiwan, which was recent in March of 2019. That was a lecture called Love Beyond Hatred. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of the controversies uh, regarding Hong Kong and Taiwan in recent times. But he asks Taiwan in this lecture to spread the ideas of freedom, democracy, capitalistic ideas, and cherishing religious faith from Taiwan to China. So instead of the other way around of becoming more like China, he asked the people of Taiwan to spread their values and to change even China to become more like Taiwan. It's a very bold and brave statement. And I think he encouraged a lot of the freedom movement there to stand up stronger. Absolutely. Could you talk about the further reading, What is True Democracy? When did that take place? 
What is True Democracy uh, was a lecture recorded on November 9th in 2008, also in Taiwan. And uh, similar to the later one, uh, it was discussing the importance of freedom of religion as being the basis of democracy, because it does allow people to choose their own belief systems, and those belief systems go on to influence their entire perspective of life. And um, Ryo Okawa during that lecture also discussed the reasons that democracy is the ultimately the best system, because it's the only fair system without going to extremes. Uh, uh, during that lecture, there was an interesting part of that lecture where Ryo Okawa the, discussed the criterion to discern between good nations and bad nations. And at that time, um, he was discussing how people have generally fled from countries that were socialistic, communistic, fascist, in any type of totalitarian or dictatorship type of country and fled to democratic countries, whereas not many people really fled to a place like the Soviet Union in the past. You know, so it's, it's kind of emphasizing this idea that, you know, if you look at it in practice, even though many people might read theories about socialism and think that it's a great idea and it's fair for everybody, the reality is, is that people who have lived in those places really didn't feel that way for the most part. And uh, at the first chance, many people fled to democratic countries, such as the United States. Mm. Yeah, so I think what you're getting to is why it's important to read this book. And it talks a lot about these ideas, but it really puts them into practice. And Riho Okawa actually went to these places where these debates were taking place and helped guide their people directly towards the brighter path and towards a brighter future. Part one is really totally distinct from part two because part one is the ideas of the author, whereas part two, just like our episode four, this will discuss the spiritual interviews of four major world leaders. As you mentioned, Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Angela Merkel, and Donald Trump. This, again, is so beneficial because the media only shows you what the physical person is doing and who they're meeting with and what kind of policies they are implementing. But this book really shows you inside their minds, inside themselves and what they're really thinking about. So it kind of exposes their character and their true nature as humans. Of course, in Xi Jinping's spiritual message, or he tends to be very much at odds with the philosophy that Riho Okawa is preaching. He does not want his people to have freedom. He doesn't like this concept of democracy. And faith is something totally foreign to a communist party, which views religion as opium. Could you discuss briefly what Vladimir Putin talks about in his spiritual message and why it's a little bit different that the Western media might portray? Vladimir Putin, uh, according to the average American citizen, because of what we're shown, we generally consider him uh, perhaps an anti-American world leader, um, someone problematic. Um, and this may or may not be a remnant of attitudes that have sort of lingered as a result of the Cold War in the past. But um, something that has been progressing over the years is that the U.S. and Russia have been beginning to work together a little bit more, or at least have agreed upon in a diplomatic manner. Russia is in agreement uh, that you know China and North Korea are a threat not only to you know the West but also to Russia itself and other surrounding countries that are not part of the socialist regime. 
Yeah, it's, it's like what we're finding is that Vladimir Putin is, of course, advocating Russian interests. As the Russian president, his job is to advocate Russian interests. And so he's thinking mostly about strategy and about national level policies for Russia's benefit. Of course, from a Western perspective, we're going to view that as terrible because he's not following the post-Cold War order necessarily. But in fact, from his perspective, he's bringing his country back to prosperity based firstly on resurrecting the Russian Orthodox Church and then changing the old post-Cold War failures and trying to make Russia more prosperous again. But he actually says in here, you keep talking about freedom, democracy, and faith. But actually, he thinks in this is the proper order, is faith, then freedom, then democracy. It's true, Russia might not have the most robust democracy, <laughs> but they do have a revival of faith, and their people tend to have a certain degree of freedom. Right, and although in Russia, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Church may be the what is for all intents and purposes a, a state religion, it doesn't necessarily mean that they restrict the religious practices of other people. It's just that that particular religion is what is sort of underlying in their society. Right. Uh, Putin seems to be a very pro-Russian leader. So how does Angela Merkel think about Germany's place in Europe and in the world? From my perspective, it seems that she tend to speak from more philosophical perspective rather than Putin who thought more strategically. I agree. Uh, Putin was definitely a more down-to-earth type of leader. I, I, I believe Merkel, uh, her perspective seems to have been definitely inspired by the guilt that many German people are feeling, but also uh, she seems to be leaning towards a more socialist form of government and uh, believes that the EU is going to be the first step um, of establishing that. So she's hoping that the EU is going to become an organization that supersedes the United Nations, of which obviously the United States and various other nations are a part. She was very critical of Donald Trump, of course, because of his more aggressive way of being. But I think from the perspective of Merkel, uh, because of Germany during World War II, she probably sees that aggression as something that maybe didn't work for Germany at the time, even though I think there's a little bit of a blind spot in that perspective because uh, obviously uh, National Socialist Germany and the United States today are entirely different types of nations. Right. Yeah. So as you said, like she, she's not just thinking from one perspective. What actually she thinks is one pole thinking is not the best way to lead a country. So she doesn't like how Putin and Trump think about their countries first. She's trying to think about Europe as a whole. But she says that she doesn't like practical problems in this book. She says that she just wants to think. And that's where we start to see the more philosopher aspect of her come out into play. She says, I have a dream and a theory, but it's very pure so people cannot follow me. It seems to be that her past life is revealed in this book. And could you say who that is? Oh, uh, yeah. Her past incarnation was revealed to be Immanuel Kant, who, of course, uh, is a very well-known philosopher. Right. And we can see a lot of parallels between Kant and Merkel's very thoughtful approach to life, very stoic approach to life, and a kind of disdain for the 
the more vulgar and rugged aspects of life and dealing with these practical and pragmatic problems. And lastly, we get to Donald Trump, who spoke about freedom, democracy, and faith, as well as his strategy against China. So here he talks about the importance of strength in foreign affairs. He says, the other leaders are weak people. I'm not so weak. I myself feel that I can hear the thinking or emotion of God. So I'm the representative of God, I think. And he says that he wants to rebalance the relationship between the U.S. and Japan, between the U.S. and the EU, and the U.S. and Russia. He wants to rebalance the national powers of foreign nations with the United States based on this America first attitude. And he tends to think more about economic prosperity as being more important than these ideals that Merkel had of the idealistic philosophy that should be implemented. So this really concludes the seven-part book, Love for the Future, which discusses so many issues. And I just want to ask you, John, if you can really just summarize how reading this book will make a difference in the world if more people have this perspective. I think if more people have this, the perspective that's uh, presented in this book, I think, it, you know, if you're living in a Western nation that is a democratic nation, I believe it can give you a newfound appreciation and a fresh insight on that fact, you know, because um, it's maybe not something we always think about. It could be something we take for granted at times and um, something we may even be quick to complain about. But when we look at the totalitarian nations as they're explored in this book and we see the differences, I believe that it does put our own lives as Westerners um, of democratic nations into perspective. And I believe that, it, you know, it also emphasizes, as we spoke about earlier, that the faith is an important part of all of our lives. And it's part of uh, geopolitics. And it's, it, it is a driving force in that, you know, as much as we may view geopolitics, or even domestic politics in a secular manner, hmm. um, it's pretty evident, you know, if we're looking at the uh, conflict between the United States and China right now, for example. The United States is, generally speaking, a pretty faithful country by the average citizen, whereas that isn't the case in China. So you can see even how that dichotomy creates conflicts mm. between nations. Yeah, I tend to, I, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And I also think that this book will help you essentially get out of the mindset, which is this person is good, this person is bad. But it helps you think from a multitude of perspectives that you can see why world leaders believe the things they do. Because even the four leaders in part two of this book, they all say that their perspective is correct and they give you the reasons to why. So you'll be able to understand from a more broader perspective of life and of the world. So that concludes today's episode, Love for the Future. You can get this book at major bookstores as well as on Amazon.com or OkawaBooks.com. So I hope you can get this book and help share it to those around you. It was great talking to you again, John. Likewise, Dylan. In these trying times, stay happy, healthy, and positive. <laughs>